0: Welcome to Financial Plan and Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, owner and founder of Menninger and Associates Financial Planning. Uh, I'm pleased to be joined with uh, Kyle Ryan, and Ryan Keefe, two of my financial advisors on staff. Thank you for joining me again. Thanks for having us. us. So what we're gonna do here today, and actually for the next several episodes, is we're gonna kind of touch upon some of the areas of financial planning and um, just different topics that hopefully bring some value and some insight uh, to every six areas of financial planning shown there on the screen. Uh, What we're gonna be talking about today is things associated with cash management. So you get the six areas, cash management, tax planning, risk management, which is insurance planning, investment planning, retirement planning, and estate planning. And as you really understand, uh, different components of financial planning, they're all interrelated with each other. So if something is cash management related, don't be surprised if it touches upon taxes, it touches upon, Uh, estate planning, retirement planning, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, uh, let's begin. You guys ready to go? Absolutely. All right, cool. So first thing we wanted to talk about is, you know, when you're dealing with cash management, you got assets and you got debts, income, so on and so forth, but we tend to focus more upon debt. And when it comes to debt, it's very, very important to understand the importance of credit, okay? So the importance of good credit versus bad credit, but there's actually a third category of no credit. Mm-hmm. So we'll start off with good credit, bad credit. We'll start off with no credit. No credit can be almost as bad as bad credit. It essentially yeah. is bad credit. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, so no credit, what's the importance of credit? Obviously the importance of credit is if you want to borrow money, mm-hmm. the bank wants to know are you going to pay it back? Yeah. And one measure of your history of paying back is through credit scores. Mm -hmm. And as you probably know, the importance of good credit is either your ability to get credit or to get credit at favorable rates. Mm -hmm. So if you have lousy credit, well, okay, they may give you a credit card or they may give you a car loan Mm -hmm. or give you a mortgage, but the rates are going to be so high that it's – Know, detrimental. Now why yeah. do they give you a high rate? Because the bank is itself at greater risk. Yeah. Right. And even you guys have rented apartments, you need to show credit scores too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. you yeah. show for everything, you know, it's just a sheer fact of can you pay and will you pay. Right, yep. exactly. The can you pay is whether you have income, that's, but will you pay is yeah. you a know, completely different story. <laughs> yeah. So um, credit is measured by actually four agencies, but you've got the three major agencies are TransUnion, Equifax and Experian, and, Experian. Mm-hmm. Yep. and so the credit scores range from 300 to 850, mm-hmm. which we actually had to look up. The 300. <laughs> How low can you go? Yeah. I, you know, it's like almost a competition. It's like yeah, you, you want a good low score when it comes to golf, but that's <laughs> okay. So, um, and and really, good credit is a score of 660 and excellent credit is a score above 740. Mm-hmm. I've seen people in the 500s, you know, and a lot of times banks won't give them the lo- you know, give them the, the loans. It's yeah. something
1: a lot of people don't think about. You know, you don't want to look at your credit every day, of course, but it's something you want to check in. You know, you could have a an incorrect lien against yourself that you're not aware of that could be impacting your credit. And like I mentioned, you know, you really can't get through life and have loans or Any anything against you, like you mentioned apartments, right? If I wanted, if we wanted to rent an apartment, we have to show our credit score. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to buy a house, I have to show my credit score. If I want to get to work and transport and buy a car, it impacts my credit score. You can go out and get a car without credit, Mm -hmm. you just might be paying a lot more money for your loan. That's
0: correct, and it costs you an arm and a leg in the long run. I mean, because you're just Mm -hmm. paying a lot of interest.
2: And and one of the things you want to be understanding and aware of when it comes to your credit is what really impacts your credit score. Correct. Because there's multiple different things and one of the things that I, when I first started in the industry, found out was it's really three high impact areas that are going to affect your right. credit score. It's going to be the payment history, do you make your payments on time and fully, Right. Um, it's the, uh, you know, age of your credit yep. and, you know, how many uh, credit How How much you you have have. against your limit, which,
0: credit inquiries, but how much you have against your credit limit, which is a very important thing. There are two thresholds when it comes to credit, or at least against your credit limits, Mm -hmm. is 10% and 30%. 30% the biggest one. So for instance, if I have a credit card with a $10,000 credit limit, if in a particular month the amount is greater than 30% on that Mm -hmm. credit card, Mm -hmm. so if it's at like $3,500, it dings your credit
2: yep, yep.
0: and i track my credit and i find that and every year on the business credit card mm-hmm. we have a giant hit in november for paying all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. which you know we plow to the credit cards so we can get two percent cash back but that's a separate <laughs> issue but what happens is that it takes me way over 30 percent and just in that month i watch my credit score go down by like 60 or 70 points mm-hmm. and then next month I pay it off and it's back up again. Yeah.
1: Well, that's a strategy. You know, I see people often ask me, wow, my credit card company just offered me an increase. Should I take it? Well, for the most part, I'd, uh, I'd often say yes. But if you're the kind of person who has credit issues, and you can't stop yourself from spending, you probably don't want a higher line. Right, that's correct. But it does help mm-hmm. your credit utilization, because using 30% of a $10,000 line of credit is way easier than a $20,000 line of credit. Correct. Right.
0: Right. Correct. And as long as the first two words in, out of your mouth went, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, my credit limit's 10,000 to 20,000. Woohoo! I got more. So um, there's a lot of things. And, and so we've come across clients ourselves where they come in and we ask them what their credit score is and they have goals in mind. Oftentimes the goal is to buy a house. And because a house is a 30 year loan, hmm. a higher interest rate is extraordinarily detrimental for one. Number two is if they can't get the mortgage, then what good is the goal of buying a house? Mm, So what we've done is we have helped them repair it. And repairing the credit is, first of all, looking at the credit because it's amazing sometimes. I've seen a little bit of a spite thing. I have this $100 against my Verizon bill or whatever, you know, my my phone bill Mm -hmm. or something from three years ago, which you Mm -hmm. disputed, but they're showing it as a a bad payment. And it's a derogatory mark. And as much as it bothers the daylights out of me to pay that $100, because it's a spite thing, Mm -hmm. you get that off there, boom, credit score jumps right up. So not that we're in the credit repair business, But certainly, we're in the business of trying to help people plan. And if they have goals in mind and their credit score gets in the way, then we need to help them figure it out. And a lot of times, what we find is that it's credit utilization Mm -hmm. and derogatory remarks.
2: Yeah, And one one thing that uh, I know we've recommended to a lot of clients is when they have children in schools, take out loans in their name and start making payments to start helping them establish credit because a lot of people graduate college and they have no credit
0: correct correct we've talked about that in many episodes before (laughs) Mm -hmm. um enough on credit
2: (laughs) 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 all right good
0: well hey you know what we're talking about credit one of the main uses for credit is to buy a home okay Mm -hmm. so so now let's talk about the use of home equity Mm -hmm. so What is home equity? Well, let's talk about it. If I own a home that's worth $400,000 and I have a $300,000 mortgage on it, Mm -hmm. that means, very simply, I have $100,000 worth of equity. Mm -hmm. Rule of thumb, mortgages don't like to lend more than 80% of the value of your home, Mm -hmm. okay? Well, with today's real estate market that we've experienced, the person who bought the $300,000 home five years ago, who had a $200,000 mortgage, all of a sudden the value of their home is four hundred, four fifty, dollars yep. mm-hmm. or 500, you know, yep. just crazy numbers.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, All of a sudden now, their $200,000 loan, which was most what they could borrow five years ago, now mm-hmm. is only 40% of the value of their home because it's now 500,000. Mm-hmm. So that presents an opportunity for using home equity now one of the things that i should be clear about is never borrow to invest you know there are people who do that out there and i think that is absolutely crazy it's risky it's crazy you you just don't borrow to invest but there are times where using the home equity in your home can be advantageous. Absolutely. You know, want to build a patio in the house, you need $30,000 to do it. You don't have the $30,000 of cash. Don't want to go to a retirement account. Right, of course, which you don't really want to do. And then you say, okay, I don't want to take a loan that's going to cost me 10 15%. If you take it out of your home equity, not only that, but if it's used for your home, the interest may be tax deductible. And,
2: And one of the things that we see a lot of our clients do is utilize the home equity line of credit because um, it's easy cash insurance to just kind of have on the sidelines. It's available. If you ever need it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Again,
0: if, if the first two words out of their mouth are, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, so it, if you ever heard the words first lien position, second lien position, third lien position, um, what that really means is that, and this is why mortgages don't like to lend more than 80%, because they're not in the business of being real estate owners either. Because if I were to default on my loan, The first person, so what happens is the mortgage company becomes the first position, they take over my home. And they're going to try to sell it because, again, they're not in the real estate market. They want their money back. So what happens is if I have a $500,000 home and I have a $300,000 mortgage, they sell it for whatever they sell it for. They're the first person to get paid back. The second person to get paid back is if I have a home equity loan. And that's a fixed interest, fixed time period loan. That's the second position. And then the third position is the home equity line of credit. Now, Mm -hmm. if you have a mortgage and take a home equity line of credit, Mm. well, it goes into the second position. But no company will give you the home equity line of credit above 80%, or no bank I mean, if they're not in the first or second position as well. Okay, actually more than 90%. Yeah. They just won't do it because they're the third people in line. Yeah. Right. You know They're not the ones who are in charge of selling the house. The mortgage company is the one who's in charge of selling it. Right. But again, the difference between a home equity loan and a home equity line of credit is that the home equity line of credit is, instead of it being a fixed payment, it's interest only and You borrow what you need and the interest accrues daily. Unfortunately, that because it's not fixed interest rate, it goes up and down every time the Fed raises interest rates. Mm -hmm. And as we know, the Fed has raised interest rates the most and fastest in its history. Mm -hmm. So anybody who had a home equity line of credit only a few years ago, their interest rate was three and a quarter percent. Now it's eight and a quarter. Suddenly, three and a quarter was a good price Eight and a quarter is not exactly the greatest <laughs> price of all.
1: When we've yeah. seen the impact of that first on. You know, we have clients who, you know, they build a pool, right? And it sounds like a great idea. Use a home equity line of credit. It's only costing you two, three percent. And here we are, a couple of years later, you've only paid X amount of it off, and the interest rate rises, and you're still stuck with that payment, right? Which could then turn into a home equity loan after a few years, and. Yeah. It can, it can get it can get out of hand, you know? It's That's why it's not a one-stop solution, the home equity line of credit or the home equity loan, but it is a powerful tool to have in your arsenal. And,
2: Correct. And I will say, like, a lot of times, uh, for the average American, the home is going to be their main investment, so right. to speak, for their life. So be careful when you're utilizing the equity in your home, because yeah. that, that might be your one or largest asset when you eventually retire. Yeah.
0: Well, and the other thing is, you know, where we have used home equity loans, in addition to um, utilizing it for projects around the house, Mm -hmm. is for restructuring debt. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. if their primary mortgage is already sitting at some ridiculously low, you don't want to refinance the, I mean, you could refinance Mm -hmm. it, okay, Uh, But in today's interest rate environment, you certainly don't. Mm -hmm. But what it does is it gives the ability, for that person who may have a $200,000 mortgage, if they're sitting on bad debt, like a bunch of credit card debt and everything else like that, that's adversely impacting their credit score. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's one. If they're paying some ridiculous rate, 20, 25% on interest for their credit cards, they're always swimming upstream and not really paying it off. So by using home equity to restructure your debt, it puts them in a position where all of a sudden they're not struggling every month it gets them the ability where they're actually paying down their debt. Yep. Yep. I've also seen them folks use it for college. Not extremely. It works. Mm-hmm. It's it's a way of funding college.
1: It's just another yeah. tool. And the last thing I would note on it is we always we, we usually caution clients get it while you can because you do need to have income in order to be able to get a home equity line of credit. Right. So you know even if you don't think you need it, it doesn't cost you know depending on where you are, it doesn't cost too much to get one. It's better to have it than well, and have so, it and not need it than need it and not have it.
0: Correct, and, and so one of the things that we've used as a tool for the home equity line of credit is uh, it's an emergency reserve. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always encourage you know it's one of the primary things about cash management is to maintain a certain level of emergency reserve. You know the book rule is anywhere between three and six months of expenses, yep. okay, of your monthly expenses, mm-hmm. and so people will have a tendency to set aside thirty, fifty thousand dollars in savings. Okay, which, by the way, I think is a great idea, but we've often asked, when's the last time you have actually had an emergency reserve? Emergency? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, sort of never. I'm like, okay, well, then let's utilize the cash mm-hmm. for whatever the, your goals may be and then utilize the home equity line of credit as the emergency reserve in the event of an emergency, that's a place to go. Yep. And to your point, get it when you don't need it because the single time you need it the most, is when you don't have a paycheck laid off, you know, disabled or anything else like that, Mm -hmm. it gives you a place to go for an emergency. Mm -hmm. So we're up against commercial break. Uh, We will be back with you in just a few moments. Thank you for joining. We'll be back momentarily.
2: Do you keep up regularly with your investments? Where exactly are your hard-earned dollars going? Are you financially prepared for an emergency?
0: I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager and Associates Financial Planning. We believe that education and knowledge are powerful, and we want our clients to understand why we are making the recommendations that we make. It's your money, and you deserve to know where it's going, because it's not how much you make; it's how much you keep. So call us today to discuss. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained. In the first segment of the, uh, we were talking about um, you know credit and the use of home equity. Uh, For the second segment, what we'd like to do is talk about, real quickly, the difference between HSAs and FSAs, and then we're gonna talk about uh, ways for saving for children, and if we get to it, we have a couple other topics that we'd like to do. So HSAs and FSAs. Um, HSAs is a health savings account, and the FSA is the flexible savings account, kind of the dinosaur to the HSA. Um, You know, the healthcare savings account, in order to qualify for one, Mm -hmm. you have to have at work High deductible plan. Yeah, right. and,
1: okay, and the purpose of these is to use for qualified medical expenses. Correct.
0: Yeah. Correct. So, in the old days, you had the flex, which by the way are still existing, the flexible spending account, is that if you don't have a high deductible plan, you have the ability to save it, and you know you can contribute up to three thousand, somewhere around three thousand dollars a year, but the downside was it's basically a use it or lose it. And a lot of people complain. In fact, I was one of those people who complained. Like, I never know how much I'm gonna need. And it would tick me off if I put away three thousand dollars, only use two thousand, and poof, it's gone. I, I wasted that extra thousand. Mm-hmm. Now, since years ago when I had been using it, they also the plan can allow, was it six hundred bucks? Six ten. Six mm-hmm. ten. They can they allow a six ten if the plan carry over to the following year. The beauty of it is that you contribute to the FSA and it's tax deductible and then the distributions are tax-free so that's a beautiful thing uh the hsa is even better okay the hsa is relatively new five years seven years whatever Mm -hmm. something like that new for some is not new for others but (laughs) um that gives you the only mechanism that allows you to contribute to a tax deductible It's uh, it's got the triple tax savings, one of the only ones out there Right. the
1: deduction on the way in, it grows tax-deferred, and if you use it for qualified medical expenses, again, you can pull it out tax-free. Right. A lot of nifty things because you can also invest it. Yes. So, yes, you can. And (laughs) you can, unlike the FSA, if you don't use it, you get to retain that for until you use it. Right, the HSA. The HSA, that is. And
0: so what you were talking about um, before the episode about the HSA that's pretty cool is you can go back. Oh, the so again, let's start with this. You need to have a high
1: deductible plan. How do you know if you have a high deductible plan? Well, go look at your deductible. It's a good way to start. And if you're single, your deductible is $1,500 or more. You know you have a high deductible health plan. You can use it as an HSA. If you're a family, it's $3,000 or more. So one of the things you could do, again, you you contribute to this, get a tax deduction, it grows tax-free. That leads you to think that you want this for as long as possible. You really want this to grow. So where I've seen people make mistakes is they have an HSA, they're young, you know. Like if I go over my deductible, I need five hundred dollars. Oh, I'll just pull it from the HSA. Could be, it depends. But the thing is, is it's growing tax-free. If you save the receipts throughout your life, I go to the doctor, I get a five hundred dollar copay, I save that receipt, and I keep doing that throughout the years. And I'm in retirement, and I have this HSA I've been building up my whole life. I can take that, reimburse myself for my rep- medical expenses, so long as I have a good track of the receipts. Reimburse myself from those medical expenses from all those years past as opposed and take that money out tax-free It's 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 a really powerful tool, but again you have to you have to have a high deductible health plan If you are on Medicare You cannot contribute to the HSA. That's correct. So Mm -hmm. once you and it's not age 65 It's once you are on Medicare So if you are still working beyond the age of 65 with a high deductible health plan You can still contribute to it.
0: That's correct And the only thing that I would comment on what you said is Mm -hmm. that it's not a bad thing to use it, it's just that it would yes. benefit you to allow yeah. it to grow tax-free. Exactly. If you yeah. had nowhere to go for $500 yeah. in the HSA, I mean, that's it's better it's to use that than tap your credit card uh, for 500 yeah. bucks. Yeah, right. So, and, right. and
2: you can contribute uh, $38.50 yes. for, for an individual every year and 7750 dollars if you're a married couple. And yep. plus um, a thousand
0: dollar catch up if you're over fifty? Fifty five. Yes. Fifty-five.
2: And that's per HSA. Right. So if you and your wife have one, you can each do a thousand dollars catch-up.
1: Okay. And um, sometimes employers offer it, so check in with your employee benefits because sometimes they'll offer a match. Um, so always worthwhile knowing
0: that. And I believe it's the combined between you and the employer of hitting the seventy seven hundred, correct? Yes. Uh, yes that's what I thought. So. Yes. That's, that's so. what I thought. All right. Next thing, let's talk about the different ways for saving for uh, kids. Um Kind of interesting in the evolution of saving money for children. Uh, there's a handful of ways, and you know I've actually had seminars on saving, starting really saving for college for kids. But sometimes it can be just saving for children, OK? The kids may have side jobs, whatever the case, they want to save money. But um, you might not have the goal of going to college. Right, that's correct. Yeah. That's correct. But here's what happens a lot of times. Okay? What happens a lot of times is the parents you know, looking for ways of hiding money, okay? And so what they used to do years ago is they would just dump money into the kid's name Hmm. as their way of saving and putting it in at the kid's rate.
1: Yeah,
0: Government caught on, (laughs) okay? I think it goes back to 2001 uh, they have the kiddie tax, yep. mm. so it, it basically says it's something like 1,350 bucks a year that if the child is considered a dependent on your tax return. And they have more than thirteen hundred and fifty dollars a year in unearned income. In other words, if I drop a half a million dollars and yeah. I'm making five percent, it's twenty-five thousand dollars. No, no, no. Do no I no, want to no.
1: pay it at my tax rate. Where or I'm his tax rate, <laughs> right? <laughs>
0: of course, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, they caught on to that.
2: <laughs>
0: so, um, but people were doing that to save for college, and the reason why they were doing that to save for college is because if for some reason um, they wanted to use it for something other than college. Using a college-type of savings program had penalties mm-hmm. if he did it. Yeah. So, you know, so we'll kind of go, and the next slide pretty much talks about it, and we just use that. Is ways with which you could save for college are you could save it through the child's name, mm-hmm. and if they're under 18 or under age of majority, it's actually 21 in most mm-hmm. states. Uh, it has to be what's referred to as a UTMA or UTMA or UGMA Uniform Gift to Minors Act or Uniform Trust of Minors Act. Yeah. Basically, that means the parent serves as a custodian, yes. which is the gatekeeper. It prevents the kid from taking their money.
2: Right, okay. but once they hit that age of majority, that account becomes theirs. Legally, Legally becomes yes. theirs.
0: Legally becomes theirs. Would be some, surprised how many times people, the kids don't even know they have the accounts. And,
2: yep. and sometimes parents, when the kid turns the age of majority, are like, oh, I didn't realize they get control of that. Right, well, <laughs>
0: and, and by the way, then they still own the iron fist because you want to take that, <laughs> guess what? You, you know that could. Yeah, you could lose other... Uh, Benefits. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, other ways that I've seen. Um, so, it's saving in the kid's name. You know, you're kind of limited. Um, the other thing too is that if you accumulate too much money in the kid's name, it could impact um, student financial aid mm-hmm. yes. when applying right. for college. Right. Um, what I've seen parents often do is contributing to the 529 plans. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is a great way for saving for college because in Pennsylvania and some states you get certain tax advantages at the state level, mm. but certainly at the federal level, you get a, uh, you don't get a tax deduction, but you get tax-free growth, yes. tax-free distributions right. if used for uh, legitimate college for, expenses. For, yeah,
2: for higher education, too. Correct. So a lot of people think the 529 plan is just for college. It could be for trade school, it could Correct. be for high school. Yeah. Um, just and
0: actually, the, it's a new law, a couple mm. years ago, they came out and said they could use up to $10,000 a year for high school, yep. Yep. And private now, high school.
2: And now with uh, the new Secure 2.0 Act, uh, if there's any unused money in 529 plans, you can actually roll that money over into Roth IRAs after a certain time. But it has to be 15, 15 years, years,
0: and you can only do up to the contribution limit, mm-hmm. up to 35,000, we yes. won't get into that as mm-hmm. deep, but um, that's something else that can happen. The other thing that I've seen happen is that uh, people will employ self-employed individuals. Will actually employ their children. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if they employ their children and they're legitimately doing work for the business, you can pay your children. Now, what's the advantage of that? The advantage of that is if I am in a thirty-five, let's say I'm the business owner, I employ my children instead of my paying thirty-five percent tax on those wages, on that profit, mm-hmm. I'm paying the kids. And you get a deduction. I get a deduction as a business deduction. Okay, the only downside is that they're going to pay both sides of the wage tax, yep. but. That's 15%. 15% beats the daylights out of 35%. Mm-hmm. And
1: one thing to really hone in on is you said legitimate. Legitimately yes. hiring them because I've seen a lot of people, you know, oh yeah, just, you know, hire your kid, you know, if you don't yeah. have a business. Oh yeah, you know, take pictures of them, make them a photographer. It has to be a legitimate business. There's right. so a five letter
0: word for that. Fraud. <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: mowing the lawn, you know, you can get away with some, you know, speak to an accountant if you're going to go down the right, route absolutely. to make sure that it is, it is legal.
0: So we're going to skip the next topic, and just very briefly, because we're near the end of the episode, is talk about ways of giving to charity. Um, one of the issues that has occurred uh, since the Trump tax laws in 2018 came into effect is that they limited how much you can, can uh, uh, your itemized deduction limit or shall i say your standard deduction limit went up real high okay which then put pressure on charitable contributions and for most people their charitable contributions unless they have a giant mortgage or making huge charitable contributions they weren't able to deduct mm-hmm. so i kind of put a hurt into the charities Absolutely. so there were a couple different ways with which people were doing it it's like they would have a really high year and there's this relatively new thing called donor advised funds mm-hmm. DAFs, so we had a client who had a giant year of income, it was an an influx of of mass amount of income, and what they did is they just contributed, they had plans of contributing 20 or $30,000 a year to a charity, but they had a giant year, so they contributed like $200,000 to the DAF. What happened is they got a $200,000 tax deduction that year, now the DAF, the donor-advised fund, sits there, and if they wanted to make a $10,000 or $20,000 or $50,000 contribution, it comes out of the DAF, there's no sure. tax, but they're not getting a deduction at any time and, afterwards. And
2: it can be invested while well it's in the Correct. DAF. Correct, yeah. so it can actually grow.
0: Absolutely. Um, and since the DAF is considered, the contribution to the DAF is considered tax deductible, then what happens is I suggest that you take a highly appreciated asset. In this particular instance, they had you know $200,000 of the S&P 500 fund that they paid only 54. for. By moving that in, they didn't recognize the capital gain, but they got the full $200,000 deduction, which is a beautiful thing. Right. And then lastly, I'd like to talk about qualified charitable deductions, which is QCDs. If you're over age 70 and a half, you can contribute directly from an IRA to a charity. Um, we're up against time. Now, actually, I'm gonna go back. That's also good for people who have RMDs. Because what it does is that they can, instead of taking, let's say, their $10,000 RMD, if they write checks directly from their IRA to the charity, then basically that RMD, that income that they used for charity, doesn't count as income on their tax return. So we are absolutely out of time. (laughs) So thank you, guys. appreciate it. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of uh, Financial Planning Explained. And I'm your host, Mike Manager. Thank you again for joining us. Thank mm-hmm. you.